Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, if you're still using paper checklists in your restaurant, you still have uh, paper procedures taped up all over the place. If you're still using the Red Book, you are managing your restaurant like it's 1961. Listen, paper sucks at holding people accountable. It can't tell you when there's a problem. It can't tell you when your people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. You can't magically transport yourself to look at the red book to see if something's happening when you're not in the location. You need to ditch paper and move to the Apps Analytica platform. For the same cost as the red book, you can have a fully digital checklist and ops management platform. You'll be able to see what's happening when you're not there. The system will tell you when you have a problem and it will make your life so much easier and you'll be able to hold your managers more accountable to doing what they're supposed to do, which means better restaurants, better guest satisfaction. Check us out at opsanalytica.com or search restaurant checklist app. Hey there, listeners. It's uh, Tommy Yanolis here with the Order Up podcast. And I know it's been a while since we've had one and I'm super excited today. Uh, please welcome my guest, uh, Jim Short. Hey, Jim, how you doing, man? Doing fine out here in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Great. So, Jim, just so you know, the format of the podcast is that I ask the same five questions to everybody. And, uh, you know, super mellow. We're just going to hang out and chat for a little bit. And um, that's pretty much it. So uh, we're going to start off here with question number one, because that kind of gives us your background. And the question is, explain what you do today and then kind of take us through uh, briefly your career progression from where your first job in the industry. Okay. uh, Currently, I am facilities manager for Pizza Hut of Arizona. (laughs) My first job in the industry, oh, I was probably... 15 years old and was a short order cook and potato peeler at the Sands Drive-In in Dallas, Texas. We had car hops. Cool. What year was that? Oh, God. Uh, I'd have to do math. Uh, 4457, uh, no, 44 and 50, uh, 57, 58, somewhere in there. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, that's, and the reason I was there is because uh, I had to pay for my apartment and uh, feed myself. So that's what I did. Wow. And then, and then did, have you been in the hospitality industry the whole time? Oh, no. Uh, I, I took a small break and wore green for uh, close to five years. Uh, Marine Corps. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So it was actually only four years, nine months, 29 days, three hours, and about 15 minutes. <laughs> nice. I was driving out the back gate at Camp Pendleton. Um, didn't get really back into food service until... I guess it was about 60, no, it would have been 71, 72. Uh, I was working as a computer programmer and computer operator at the, at the county. And uh, in order to, to pay for my son before he was uh, 
here with us on the planet. Uh, I took a part-time job at uh, a pizza hut and was dishwasher and cook. Wow, so and, you've been with Pizza Huts my entire life, because I was born in 72. <laughs> so you've been with Pizza Huts in 72. Well, no, actually, and then I took a, a brief break. Uh, we moved from Tucson back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and did a, little, a few mixed things there. Uh, operated Dairy Queen in uh, the thriving metropolis of Wilmer Hutchins. Uh, <laughs> just south of Dallas, and um, the mistake was going back there to work for a brother-in-law. Don't do that, guys. Um, and when he sold the business uh, without telling me and found out I had a new boss and he had somebody else to run the joint, uh, actually worked uh, at Wendy's for a while, flipping burgers, and then uh, the franchisee sold that. and. I went to work in building drill bits for Dresser Industries and Petroleum and Mining until we moved back to Arizona. And that was less than a year uh, for that foray back to East Texas. But my wife's asthma brought us back to Arizona again and uh, looked around uh, for a job and got hired as an assistant manager at Pizza Hut. Um, not in Tucson this time, but in another location in uh, Sierra Vista, Arizona, and then stayed with the company ever since. And that's with Pizza Hut of Arizona? That's the Pizza Hut you were working with? Yes. Cool. So those guys have been around for a while. Yeah. And how many back locations? We, yeah, back, oh, we have 34 locations is the next question you were going to ask, right? Yeah, how many locations? Yeah, at at one time it was more complex. It, it, it was uh, we have nine locations in Arizona, and one in Washington. Oh, wow! Because there was one of the partners uh, for Pizza Hut of Arizona lived up there, and opened a Pizza Hut, but it was still affiliated with us uh, because he was on the same franchise agreement. It has since split up and. Uh, Emerald City Pizza Huts or Emerald City franchise now, and we're still Pizza Hut of Arizona. Cool. So, okay, so that's cool. So you've been doing that, and you've worked back. So just like everybody, I think so many people in the industry, you start off with such humble beginnings, you know, cooking, doing dishes, busing tables, whatever it is, and now you've worked yourself up to facilities manager. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Just what does that entail? Because you know, a lot of restaurant managers are doing single units or, or even small little chains. They probably don't support a uh, facilities manager. So why you elaborate a little right. bit on that position? Well, um, the position of facilities manager came about, uh, see, uh, assistant manager, manager, multi-unit manager. I, I managed two, no, three restaurants at the same time. And... Uh, then we staffed up enough that I went back to running one restaurant, but we got big enough that we needed area managers. And so I had my six units and we started splitting them up about like that. And I got interested in equipment 
because the only thing that was seemed to be ever wrong with an air conditioner or a refrigerated table or a walk-in cooler freezer was that it had a bad compressor and needed replaced. <laughs> and I became suspicious uh, of the service industry that compressors had been around for a while and they should have learned to make them better by now. And I enrolled in uh, our local uh, junior college, Pima College, and took, uh, well, I had to start with electrical and then refrigeration and air conditioning and started uh, troubleshooting, uh, became certified uh, to handle refrigerants and all that, that and um, bought a set of manifold gauges and a couple of meters, and someone would have a problem, and I would go out and troubleshoot. I might call my instructor back and say, hey, Charlie, uh, here's what I'm seeing. This is what I think it is. And he would say, yep, that's it. Okay. So I'd start calling people uh, to do repairs. And if they came in and said, oh, you're going to need a new compressor, my line would be, well, those are awful expensive, and I'm going to have to check it out with my boss. Thank you very much, and I'll take your card. And then call somebody else. Uh, until the day that uh, I called one of those in and <laughs> Old Fred Travis came out, and I said, okay, we've got this air conditioner that's down. And he says, oh, well, let me take a look. And he bends over and says, oh, well, hell, there's your problem. That wire's burned off. And he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a pocket knife, strips a wire, unscrews a lug, sticks a wire under it, screws it back down, and says, there you go, it's fixed. I said, well, how much do I owe you? And he said, oh, that's not even worth a service call. And I said, Mr. Travis, we have 15 Pizza Huts here in Tucson. Would you like to be my refrigeration guy? <laughs> <laughs> and he was uh, until the day he died, uh, at, at which point we had over 20 locations in the Tucson market. And he would drop by and visit and take care of all my refrigeration and air conditioning needs. Nice. Uh, after that, I had to do some scuffling to find another person uh, with the same oh, level of ethics uh, and skill. Uh, and after a few tries, I found uh, a couple of local vendors that uh, now they've split it up a little bit. I have an air conditioning guy and a refrigeration guy. Um, and with uh, two companies and uh, about six technicians, they do the same job Freddie used to do by himself. Wow. Cool. So then you're not just in charge of refrigeration and stuff. I mean, you're in charge of the entire building. So pretty much, would it be safe to assume that any repair or, or uh, maintenance or preventative maintenance is kind of running through you? Uh, yes. Although uh, at the current time, we're, we're looking at and have started uh, – getting set up to use Corrigo, uh, one of the many work order network kinds of businesses. Sure. Uh, and the uh, request for uh, service will be initiated by uh, a manager on duty. 
and they're authorized to spend up to X. And if it goes beyond that, their supervisor is authorized to spend up to Y. And if it goes beyond that, we'll sit down and talk about it. Sure. Cool. But yeah, uh, I, I've scheduled uh, <laughs> paving, roofing, roof paints, uh, roof uh, maintenance, uh, oh, uh, grease trap cleaning, hoods cleaning. Uh, Pretty much all the preventative maintenance. Yeah. And, uh, basic. All, all the PM uh, and some projects. Uh, when it is feasible to get rebates, uh, we'll do a lighting project switch over to LED. Sure. Uh, and and part of that, uh, to make it a sweeter deal for us, uh, we always try for the rebate first. Yep, absolutely. Uh, if, they, if they pay half of the cost and, and drop my uh, standing cost for, you know, my utility costs are going to go down. So my fixed uh, is spend is going to be less uh, all for that. And I guess, too, because you guys have been around for so long, you probably have some pretty old buildings. I know that they're sort of like you have the old pizza huts that have like the kind of flared roof, sort of like the old McDonald's did. There's a lot of those still out there. And then I'm sure you have the new sort of strip center model, too, less dine-in as well, more delivery focused. Do you have a, a mix of both of those in your guys' portfolio? Let's see. Uh, I was I was making fun of somebody. Uh, I signed their birthday card this morning, and he's the, <laughs> the chairman of the board, and he's the guy that started uh, the Pizza franchise here in Arizona uh, with some partners. And I told him uh, that he had outlived uh, most of our buildings. <laughs> nice. Uh, because a lot of our patients are on a second building. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, uh, or a third location. Uh, so uh, I can only think real quick off the top of my head of about three that still have the mansard roof you were talking about. Yeah. Um, and then after that, they have done several different roofs, roof lines. Uh, they They sort of maintain the mansard. Uh, but they broadened it out and put an equipment bay on top of the building. Um, for a while, they had an equipment bay for air conditioning at the back of the building. Uh, originally, the AC units sat on the ground and used a lot of ductwork to get the air in and out of the building for uh, refrigeration. And um, now, uh, like a lot of the uh, industry um, delivery is becoming uh, our focus. Uh, it's not quite the same. We don't have the same traffic in dining rooms. Oh. So we're eliminating them when it makes sense, uh, maintaining them where uh, they have sufficient traffic uh, and uh, sufficient in-house in, in dining business. Uh, we have quite a few restaurants that are in small towns. Sure. And small town America still goes out for pizza as an occasion. <laughs> we had one location in a little town called Ajo, Arizona. It means garlic, by the way. 
Um, it's between the Barry M. Goldwater bombing range <laughs> and the Tohono O'odham Indian Nations land. And we're just almost destination dining there. We're the finest dining establishment in the town. Nice. So, yeah, we're going to keep the uh, dining room open for a long time. Well, it's funny you say that because we went camping this summer with uh, some families, and uh, we were in Leadville, Colorado, and we were off. We were off like about ten minutes outside of Leadville. There's a big, beautiful lake, Turquoise Lake, and these storms whipped up sixty mile an hour winds, blew the tents, like smashed them down, and so we were, everyone was huddled under these like little uh, like uh, structures, and so it was raining and so windy. We didn't want to like, cook over the fire. So I went into Leadville where they still have a pizza hut and it was packed. You know, it was full. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. Um, that, that's you know, just part of it. Business changes, demands changes, customer patterns change. Yep. Uh, we used to be able to schedule, oh boy, it's, it's Friday night and it's football night. We're going to get the crowd after the football game or something like that and now not so much sure uh, it, the number of choices has increased dramatically oh for uh, sure and we never did go in much for entertainment uh dave and busters something like that covered up with tvs and video games uh the most we ever did was have a small uh, room within the building with some video games in it. Sure. But other people took that and ran with it. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the Pizza Hut group never did. Well, I read, I think it was last year, that Pizza Hut's going to invest like, I don't know, some ungodly amount of money, a couple uh, millions of dollars, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars back into the brand and back into... Um, advertising obviously they bought the football con they bought the football contract have you guys seen an increase in sales from these football ads just out of curiosity mm, marginal uh, oh. Oh, let me see what got oh god i sound like rush limbaugh i'm rattling paper <clears throat> the reason i quit listening to the man <laughs> Are we right now? Yeah, I'm just curious because obviously Pizza Hut spent a lot of money to displace Papa John's as the official NFL sponsor. And then obviously they haven't had the kneeling controversy this year that they had last year. Um, right. So you would, um, and I know I see plenty of Pizza Hut ads when I'm watching football. Right. So if well, you can just that um, Actually, we, we get to be up a little this, this time. Oh, good. Well, that's good. It's worth it. I mean, that's your ad fund dollars, right? So you kind of want them to work. <laughs> over over six percent compared to uh, like 2012 when we were down one. Sure. All right. Oh, cool. Well, I'm gonna move on to the next question here. Thanks for that. Uh, what's the big project and initiative that you're working on right now at work? Uh, currently, uh, it's it's primarily Corrigo and. Uh, <laughs> trying to get me retired and have 
some kind of replacement uh, for uh, work orders and service calls. Sure. And so Corrigo basically is a platform where I can open up a support ticket and then it knows what vendors are being used for that type of support ticket. And so then it, it creates a PO yes. and contacts them right. and says, hey, we want you to come out and do a service call and all that. Right. And um, of course, <laughs> our one of our problems is which vendor? Well, the fellow that works in Yuma, Arizona for us uh, is not going to take a service call for Flagstaff. Sure. So two managers on duty say, I have an air conditioning problem. The manager on duty in Flagstaff is going to get uh, Refrigeration North uh, for a company name. And then in Yuma, they're going to get refrigeration down by the Colorado River guy. Sure. And and we're we're trying to make sure that we can tag which vendor for which location. Yeah. Um, uh, for which problem, whether it's hot side uh, cooking equipment or cold side uh, food preservation, uh, customer and employee comfort in the building, uh, who takes care of which one. Yeah, and plumbers plumbers even have a smaller footprint quite often um, here in southern Arizona, and the well, with the exception of Yuma, Ajo, and places like that that are quite small, uh, I have a plumber that will cover the Tucson area for me, but uh, not uh, Safford, Sierra Vista, or Wilcox, which are over by New Mexico. Um, so I have to have plumbers there, uh, plumber in Yuma and plumber up north in Flagstaff. And I've even got to break that down a little further in that uh have three locations in Flagstaff and uh, Williams. And Williams is the gateway to the Grand Canyon and less than an hour's drive from Flagstaff. But plumbers up there are reluctant to drive uh, very far. Oh, that's all the way across town. And we're talking about Flagstaff. And I'm, excuse me, but, you know, all the way across town in Tucson or Dallas or New York or L.A. is, man, that's a trip. Yeah. But it's Flagstaff. <laughs> and it's, it's 12 miles across town. And I have locations here in Tucson that are 20 miles from the office. Uh, not to mention, if I went the other direction, it's almost as long to get to the other corner of Tucson. So I don't understand. Sometimes I don't understand this small town mentality of, oh, goodness, that's all the way across town. Oh, yeah, no. The smaller the town, the bigger the trip across town, like mentally, yep. is for people. It could be literally a one, it could be five blocks. I'm not going all the way over there, you know, whereas if you're in the big city, you're just forced to drive. So right. the big thing with that Corrigo and any of these systems, really, I think, is just making sure that you keep it up to date. It's a, you get it set up, but then if people aren't oh. responsible for maintaining it, and that's any computer system and any multi-unit operation, if somebody's not up keeping the 
core information up to date, then then yep. you don't get the ROI on it, right? And we even see that with Ops Analytica, you know, whereas if people don't keep up on their checklists and and don't update their users, then somebody goes to use the platform and it doesn't, they can't do it. They can't do whatever they wanted to do, or they look at this and they go, oh right. man, the date, that's all wrong. And then they stop using it. And that's, that's the well, biggest um, thing that people yeah, think about. You're right. It, it's the setup uh, is, is remarkably important, uh, even getting all the assets loaded. Yep. Uh, and then I think the way it works, <laughs> that we've seen so far is if a manager on duty at a dine-in restaurant starts a work order uh, and says, I need my stuff fixed. And it says, okay, what do you want fixed? And it'll have a list of assets. And it would include things like salad bars and buffet bars and, uh, of course, coolers and freezers um, and maybe even a beer box. And if a manager B who works in a Delco, a delivery carryout unit, says, okay, I want something fixed, his asset list is different. Sure. He won't have uh, a dining dining room table or uh, a buffet bar. And then he gets to pick and choose for his assets. And even if they click on something like pizza oven, we have units with two ovens and we have units with three ovens. And depending on where you are located, it will give you the choice, top oven, bottom oven, or top, middle, and bottom oven. So that when you're creating a work order, uh, the person that's receiving it will have a much better idea of what to look for when they come in the door. For sure. That's cool. I mean, that's really important. And the, the nice thing is, too, is like once again, as long as as long as you make sure that you give people the access to update stuff if they get a new oven or whatever, then you know that stuff is that that's where the value is. Software is one of those things that people buy, especially today, because like if you think about the history of software, it used to be that you would buy software, you'd pay for it one time, and then you would then it was basically like I dare you to get this to work, right? And mm -hmm. so that and then we used to sell. We used to, my last company, we worked in the enterprise software space for huge companies like Wells Fargo, Visa, the World Bank, like big stuff. But that was always the mentality of software in the past. You pay for it one time, like we used to buy Windows, right? You buy Windows every three years or you buy Microsoft Office every three years and then you could buy an upgraded version three years later and you'd pay a couple hundred bucks. People seem to forget that. You pay two, three, four hundred dollars for all this stuff. And obviously enterprise is much bigger. Uh, but then it was always like, well, yeah, we, this is you bought the software now trying to make it work you know can you get it to work correctly and some things like windows work but like when you get the enterprise level stuff it doesn't now you pay for a subscription right and the yep. roi uh the subscription is great because you're constantly getting updates you're always on the latest platform they have to deliver something that works like so there's a lot of benefits to the subscription-based software but the biggest the thing that nobody ever accounts for is the setup and the maintenance of it, right? Like, like you're never going to get any ROI on any software you buy if you don't get it set up correctly and you don't maintain the data in the platform and you don't use it. Like you have to do those three things. But if you do do that, how much better, like they're going to be able to like essentially, you know, as you retire, they're not going to necessarily have to replace you with this person, the same level of expertise because the system should be able to handle it, right? So that's the right. beauty of, of the software. 
But as you said, you're right. You got to just get it dialed in right at the beginning and then, you know, and just keep it up to date and you'll be good to go. So what's the big thing that's keeping you up at night right now? Oh, not a whole lot at work. Uh, well, there you go. Signed up for veterans benefits and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, so are you, you like want complicated? I'm sorry, what? Are you retiring like in the next couple of weeks or months? Oh, no. Uh, probably during next year. Oh, okay, cool. Did you fight in Vietnam? Yes. Oh, wow. Thank you for your service. You're welcome. I, I went to a military college and all the instructors were uh, Vietnam uh, vets. Um, what about what I like about Tucson, by the way, just because I spent a lot of time in Tucson, is I love the fact that I don't know if this is still true because I haven't been there in a lot of years, but there's always A10 warthogs flying over Tucson because they used to train out of there. Is that still true? Still got them. Yep. And are they still flying yep. them all the time? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. The other thing is, this is like a cool story, military related and Tucson related, is that I used to do stand up comedy for a lot of years, like 95 to like 07 ish. I was a full-time stand-up comic, um, and uh, I my, did my first road gig in Tucson at the Laughs Comedy Cafe, and uh, we were sitting at the bar after the first show, and I was with this guy named Hippie Man, right? Yeah, he's a hippie, and uh, we were like, he's like, man, I want to get out to that airport, like that airplane graveyard, the military airplane like storage facility yeah. graveyard, and he said that, like we were just having a beer, he said that literally when this Navy guy who worked out there walked right behind us. And you wouldn't think there'd be a big Navy contingent in Tucson for obvious reasons. But there is because they're out there maintaining the naval planes that are being stored as part of the strategic reserve. So he goes, right. you want to go out there? I'll give you a whole tour. I work out there. So literally like Friday afternoon, we drove out to the base. He threw us in a Suburban. We drove all over that like base. We got to get out and take pictures. Hippie Man used him for his headshots for a lot of years. Like he was just like wearing this like tie-dye outfit, like hanging out on a plane. It was awesome. Such a cool time. One of the best memories I have of like standing up there. Um, but yeah, uh, we're wrapping up here. Uh, one more question is, uh, what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing a better job of right now that it isn't? Is, is there anything? A general heading would be communications, both uh, verbal and electronic. Uh, I have uh, five locations that have energy management systems, and I can, in effect, ping a store and say, hey, what's going on? Um, what's the temperature here? What's the temperature there? Uh, are the cooler and freezer doors open or closed? Uh, what's running, what's not, and um, that would be remarkably beneficial to, to have that everywhere uh, because not all of our people always notice uh, when a piece of equipment goes south on them and isn't working, and they may not catch it for several hours. And uh, I guess the Internet of Things, uh, we should be more involved and engaged with that. Yeah, it's interesting because 
You know, there's some big players in that space. I think you guys are using, I know that from other conversations, you guys are using one that does a lot more of the, uh, also like compressor monitoring and stuff. And we're adding internet of things to our platform as well. Um, and we're going to be a device agnostic platform, which just basically means that we will work with any device that you want to use. Like we're not blocked into a certain type of device or, um, just temperature monitoring or whatever. But what's been interesting was, is that when they tried to start selling IOT into the restaurant space, they sold it on the notion of, um, you know, if your cooler goes down, you're going to lose all this money, but coolers don't go down all the time. So it was one of those things where people just weren't seeing the ROI, I think on those, on those implementations. And as, and as, as we had talked about offline of this call, you know, depending on what system you get, they can be tens of thousands of dollars to get these set up, which is a, a very expensive thing for maybe something that only happens once every couple of years. And if you're not even a high protein company, like if you were a major steakhouse or sushi restaurant or high volume seafood restaurant, you know, losing a cooler could cost 10, 20, 30, 40,000 in inventory. But if you're a normal restaurant, it's probably going to be a couple grand. Not that it's not a pain in the butt, but it's still not the same potential loss, right? And so then they've also tried to sell it in. Oh, sorry, go on. What was it? Oh, no. And the benefit that I see uh, from a facility manager's standpoint yep. is that <clears throat> I can note that a piece of equipment is starting to decline on performance, uh, not necessarily fail, and I can schedule service. Uh, during normal business hours, exactly over time, uh, yep. and that's where I see a great benefit. Yep, and, and that's and where I think it does pay for itself, right? And, and also, it pays for itself in the data too, because you can get. So the guy says he fixes it, but you have a monitor in there, and then all of a sudden the cooler's wobbling at let's say forty-ish, thirty-nine point nine, forty point one degrees, and it never comes back down. You know, and then you call the guy up in a week and he's trying to give you another trip charge or trying to get you to spend, you know, more money. You can go back to him with the data and say, you didn't fix it. If it was fixed, we would have been, I think you could show me that it was in the mid thirties, right? But it's not, it's never come down. You know what I mean? So that is the benefit of those types of systems. The key is to find an economical one where you do make an ROI on it, right? But the other thing goes to it too. And I just saw this with a new client the other day where somebody had a 50 degree reach in and nobody knew because the people aren't the, the guy who's doing the temp log, if he's even doing it, he might not even know to tell anyone, you know, he yep. doesn't even know like, Hey man, 50s, what 50s bad, you know, but the health inspector is going to find it. If you get people sick, it's good. You're going to hear about it. So, you know, yeah, I, I do think that IOT, I think what's going to happen. My prediction is the, the food code is going to get amended by 2021. This is just my prediction uh, from what we've been hearing from everybody we talked to and that they're going to mandate digital record keeping and they're going to mandate a minimum standard of sort of food safety during that food code release, which will cascade into the, into the country, obviously post that. And then I think that's when you're going to see, a new ROI case around IOT because people are going to be like, well, I have to do this documentation anyways, digitally. So why would I spend, you know, eight bucks a day paying someone to do this when I could just have a system that does it automatically and I get these other benefits from it. So, um, well, cool. So 
real real quick, we're coming up to the end of the uh, the last question here of the podcast questions, which is, give me a battle story, Jim. I want a war story, a restaurant war story, something funny, something horrible, something crazy. I don't care. Um, <laughs> be careful who you let use a pressure, pressure washer. washer. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. Ah, uh, well. Once upon a time, uh, an ambitious young manager decided to, to clean um, their kitchen and had a fairly robust uh, fuel-fired-for-heat <laughs> pressure washer. Uh, it wasn't boiling, but it was. It would deliver 180, 190 degree water. Wow. 1,200 psi. <laughs> And he walked over to, oh, roughly $46,000, worth of pizza ovens and decided to clean the front of them. Uh, took us the better part of a day to get a couple of the ovens back up and running because <laughs> when you hit electronics with 1,200 PSI of hot water, uh, they don't take kindly to it. And we ran out of parts, uh, temperature controllers, speed controllers, uh, <laughs> everything in the front of the oven uh, that they had decided to pressure wash. And uh, so we we sort of quit agitating for, oh, everybody ought to have a pressure washer. They can keep their equipment and buildings running real clean. Well, yeah, you can. But oh my gosh! So what's crazy is you you had to replace, you had to go in, spend all that time and money fixing those ovens, but then you probably were losing sales at the same time, right? What do you? Oh yeah. To, what do you think at the bottom? Well, uh, yeah, the first the first uh, two or three hours was. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're closed. <laughs> Unless you'd like a salad. We can, we can, we've got a salad bar out there you can help yourself to. Just don't expect anything hot. Uh, oh, and it yeah. was just getting the ovens ready to work on, uh, dried out, <laughs> and then started replacing, oh, probably two grand worth of parts in each oven deck. So uh, we probably spent over six grand on parts and uh, multiple technicians. Because I called in everybody I could and said, okay, you guys are working on this oven. We're taking this one. And we'll get to this last one a little later. Uh, and a little later was when the additional parts came in because you used up all of our spare parts. Oh, uh, wow. and, and electronic punk components and things of that nature. That I think we is... even lost a couple of conveyor drive, DC drive motors uh, that were hosed down. Wow. That is crazy. That's a good one. That's a that's a first I've ever heard of that. That's really funny. Yeah. Did the guy lose his job, or was it just chalked up to overzealous managerial? Over over, we're pretty easy to get along with most of the time. And, uh, there was some coaching and counseling that went on, definitely. But uh, <laughs> he was the one that would tell people, "Oh, don't do that." <laughs> This, this would have been his compliment sandwich. I really right. love the initiative on cleaning the restaurant. Don't yep. ever pressure wash an oven with that pressure washer. 
and yep. you will now be our new lesson for not doing this. Good job. Oh, and, and not to mention they brought a, a gas-fired appliance into the kitchen space and <laughs> the burner burning number two diesel to get the water hot was <laughs> making the air uh, less than desirable to breathe. Uh, it, you're not supposed to bring that inside a building. That would probably be for like pressure washing like the paint off a building or something probably is what that was. Oh, you could. Oh, with, with those, yeah, with the pressure washers we bought for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jim, too close. No paint. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the Order Up podcast today. Is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about oh, real quick? And then we're gonna well, uh, actually, uh, you've stolen one of my lines that we used to use in the kitchens. Uh, the Pizza Huts. Order up. <laughs> nice. That was that was code for all the guys in the kitchen, uh, because for a long time we didn't even have females working for us. Uh, it was in the late '60s, I think, before they they hired a female. Uh, but order up was, hey guys, you should see the really good looking girl that just came in the door. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good her up. Yeah, all the guys would look. Uh, that was our code for. Yep, yeah, that was our code for. Wow, you should see what just walked in the door. <laughs> well, great, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Good luck if I don't talk to you before uh, you retire. Good luck on that, and we really appreciate you coming on the Order Up podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners. And we will be uh, back with another episode soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Jim. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye.